I was an athletic kid. I had short hair. I was a tomboy. A bunch of my friends were boys. And I was like, no pink, no dolls, no things that are typically associated with girls. Um, but nobody really put a wrench in my hand either. Hey, what's up? This is Kat. Welcome to the Joyride. Well, hello out there, wherever in the world you may be listening from. Welcome to the Joyride. The Joyride is a celebration of women who ride bikes in any form and fashion. My name is Kat, and I am just so in love with bikes and with helping to break down the barriers so that more women, more everyday women, feel safe and encouraged and inspired to try on riding bikes. Why? Well, because I believe in the transformative power of the bike, not just in our own personal lives, although that is enough, trust me, not just in our own personal lives, but in our communities and the world at large. I've witnessed it in my own life, like I've said, and you can read more about that at my blog. My blog is called Girl Eats Bike. Um, GirlEatsBike.com is where you can find that. Um, but it is launch week here at the Joyride, and that means we're posting one new show every day this week to wet your whistle, to ring your bell, to get you rolling, to turn your cranks, to, well, I think you get the idea. After that, we'll share a new conversation every week with another gal who rides bikes in some form or fashion. Since it is launch week, I would be thrilled if you would subscribe to the show, if you would, I don't know, give us a rating in iTunes, maybe even a review. Um, this would help to get the joyride on the iTunes new and noteworthy list, and that would help to get more women to be able to find the show, and it would just mean a whole lot to my little heart. It would also be pretty sweet if you would share the show with even just one gal who you feel like should give it a listen. Either way, I am honored for your time and for your attention, and I am thrilled for you to be taking this journey with me wherever it might lead us. You're like, you're like on a tandem with me right now, and you're both just pedaling along, and who knows what turns are up ahead. On this third episode of the Joyride podcast, we chat with my pal, Molly Futterman. Molly is from Portland, Oregon, uh, New York originally, but she lives in Portland, Oregon now, like so many of us who are not originally from here. Um, we're going to chat with Molly about her upcoming bike tour, the rules of the road, and some plans we're making. Um, if you would like to follow along at home, you'll find the links that we discuss at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride 003. I'll be back after this conversation to fill in any gaps. So let's dig in. All right, cool. So here we are with Molly Futterman, who I met here in the wonderful city of Portland, Oregon. Uh, hi, Molly. Hi. How's it going? <laughs> Pretty good. Went on a really nice women bike bike ride this morning. Yeah, um, rainless? The, the, it was rainless. Our rain love ride was rainless. Um, we took a tour of the rain gardens and um, bioswales and some of the um, like stormwater catchment areas that um, apparently the city of Portland has 16,000 of them. 
wow. That's wow. a lot. <laughs> yeah. So uh, it was pretty cool. We toured um, some of them in like inner northeast and southeast. And I was kind of half paying attention and half talking about the upcoming bike tour. So, <laughs> so, so you mentioned um, bike tour. And I know because you and I have had previous conversations about you have big plans. Um, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, all the stuff you have going on? Sure. So um, I am the women bike intern at the Bicycle Transportation Alliance. And um, I decided that, well, we had been to, we'd had some happy hours uh, with uh, meetups and some coffee clubs. And um, people seemed really interested in trying bike touring. Um, some people have never done it. Some people have done an overnight or two. Um, and usually it came up because I'm planning my own solo bike tour in April and I would start talking about that and people just seemed so interested and excited. So I decided, um, all right, let's put something together. Um, I didn't know how much interest there would be, so I thought I would just put the word out to some folks on the Facebook page and be like, hey, who wants to join me on this? And then it got, it generated so much interest that we decided um, Nicole Davenport, who's the program manager, she and I decided, like, let's make it an official event. Um, and, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of interest. Uh, we're doing an overnight um, to uh, Stewart, L.L. Stewart Stub, no, L.L. Stub Stewart State Park, which is right along the Banks Vernonia Trail, um, which is kind of uh, west of Portland, west and north, I guess of Portland. And, um, and that's a 20 mile long, uh, multi-use path from Banks to Vernonia, Oregon. And, um, Stuart Stub Stewart is right smack in the middle, 10 miles in. And, uh, it'll be a really nice, uh, ride, a really nice overnight to go on. Um, so I've been planning that for the better part of a uh, week and a half, two weeks now, and it's been really fun. And Kat is joining as my co-host. Yay! I'm so excited that you asked me uh, if I would join you as a co-host. I'm I'm super psyched about it. I have definitely been in in now since our most recent meeting. Um, I've really been like kind of putting the pedal down, no no pun intended, on, uh, <laughs> on developing some of the resources that we've discussed so that so that folks. Um, you know, have some ideas of what to expect. I found some really cool stuff. I'm looking forward to sharing uh, it with really you. Really excited to read it. Yeah. Um, so you 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 live here in the city of Portland now, but you, like many of us, did not were not born here, did not grow up here. So, where did you learn how to ride a bike? And tell me a little bit about like that sort of foundational stuff. Um, well, I grew up in the gorgeous city of Ithaca, New York. Ithaca, um, gorgeous. It is so gorgeous. Lots of waterfalls right within the city of Ithaca that you can bike to. Um, and it's a small town. It's nestled in a little valley. And to the north is Cuga Lake, which is one of the Finger Lakes. Um, and it's this big, long lake. Um, the Finger Lakes kind of looks like somebody stuck their hand down onto the earth. Um, so that's to the north and to the west and south and east are giant hills. Um, so the city of Ithaca is pretty small, and but it's really great for riding around town. You can get anywhere. The hills are kind of a challenge. And it's cold and snowy in the winter. So I wasn't a year-round rider when I lived in Ithaca as an adult, um, but, uh, but I am now, and I love that. And 
So I, I just rode, I rode a lot as a kid. I rode to school. It was pretty close. I was like a mile away. I think middle school was the far, my farthest and I would either walk with my neighbor friends or we'd ride bikes. Um, and that was about a mile and a half away. So really close. Um, a lot of opportunities to run around town on my bike. And that was definitely my first feeling of independence at age, you know, seven or eight riding around the neighborhood with my friends. Um, but I actually learned to ride my bike before we moved to Ithaca. We moved there when I was five and, um, we moved from rural Pennsylvania, a little town called Honesdale. Um, and, uh, we lived on this country road. It was, our driveway was gravel. It wasn't great to ride bikes on, but I had a little bike with training wheels and, um, and we had a lovely big backyard um, grassy and my mom had big gardens and we had a little swing set and it was very lovely and suburban American dream a little bit. Um, and, um, so I actually had to ask my mom the other day on the phone to remind, fill in a couple of details. Cause I remember this story really well, but she helped me fill in the details. Um, she is an author, so she worked from, Oh, has always worked from home, but, um, she, Needed to get some work done at some time. It was probably early spring. It was before we moved. So I was probably four going on five. And um, we had a friend, um, his sisters, both of his older sisters had babysat for me and my brother before. And he, but he was probably about 13. So he, would, he came over and played with us um, and hung out while my mom got some work done. And we're playing outside and he... I don't know if I asked him or if he just decided to do it. He took off my training wheels for me and um, did the thing where you hold the seat of the kid's bike as they pedal and let go. And it was fun. It was challenging. I was always up for a physical challenge as a kid, um, but I didn't quite have it right. And the gravel was really hard to ride on and to try and get my balance and pedal at the same time. So um, he left and probably in the afternoon towards the early evening. And um, I stayed outside to play by myself, which I often did. And um, I was just having a really hard time getting my balance on the gravel road. So um, I think this was kind of ingenious of my, my four-year-old, five-year-old mind. Um, we had a little grassy slope, not too steep, in our backyard. And I realized that I could gain enough momentum to where I didn't have to pedal because that was too hard. It's like trying to balance and pedal at the same time. So I essentially made my bike into what kids now use as the scoots. Um, and I just didn't pedal and uh, powered myself down this little grassy hill and um, practiced balancing. And it worked well. And I did that over and over and over again. <laughs> My mom told me in, in that recent phone conversation, she remembers watching me from the window and um, thinking that I was fearless, which I was like, oh, mother, thank you. That's <laughs> uh, pretty sweet. So um, that's how I learned to ride my bike. It was essentially by myself. That's so awesome. That's really brilliant because like, that's how they, that's how they tell you to do it. They tell you to do it now. Yeah. That's how they, they tell you, you know, take the pedaling out of the equation because that screws things up. Yeah. Um, and just let gravity do the yeah. work for momentum. Wow. Wow. You're so I got that feeling of being balanced on my bike. I do remember that feeling because I had it for a split second when, um, Sam was his name, the, the kid, the 13 year old boy who came over. Um, 
of course now he's probably in his thirties. Um, so he's not a little boy anymore. Um, uh, so I remember getting the, the split second of like, Oh, I feel that balance. And it was just, I couldn't get that back. And I really wanted to, it felt so good. Do you remember that? Like, do you remember that sensation when yes. you were riding down the hill? Yes, I do remember it. I actually remember that really clearly. And I wanted to retain that and do it over and over again. It was so fun. It felt so good to be balancing on two wheels and having that momentum. And it was, it was cool. That is the, that's so cool. So what kind of riding are you doing now? Like, um, well, I, mean, other, I know you're planning for a tour, but like, where does the bike fit into your life at this point? I bike every day. Um, I do not own a car, which is very easy to do in Portland. Um, I, uh, commute to school, to work. Um, usually my commutes are about four miles. Nothing in Portland is terribly far. Um, although there are days that I go from, uh, the BTA, the Bicycle Transportation Alliance, downtown. Uh, well, it's not really down. It's not quite downtown, but it's on the other side of the river. Um, and then I go all the way up to St. John's, which is for work in the afternoon, which is about, um, oh, I guess that's about seven miles. And that usually takes me around 40 minutes. And it's a great ride. It goes along the Willamette, Willamette Drive and it, um, the road hugs the river and it just, it's a really nice flat ride. Yeah, that's my, that's my favorite. I live, um, as you know, I live up here in St. John's and so we're up at the top of a peninsula mm -hmm. and you have to, you don't have to take Willamette to go anywhere, but it's really the best. I think it's the nicest road to get yeah. to St. And it's really convenient to where I live too. I actually live off just off of where, um, Willamette kind of ends in North Portland. Um, so it's, it's super convenient and, um, go up interstate and along Willamette when I'm uh, coming from the VTA that's that's a nice. I get a little hill in there. The interstate hill is nice and fun, but it's pretty short. It's short and sweet hill. Um, so yeah, I just I decided that when I moved out here, I was going to be a 365 day cyclist. And other than a few days of sickness or injuries or bad like icy weather, I'll ride in pretty much any weather unless it's really icy. Um, I've I've been on my bike since moving here. It's great. I ship my bike from the East Coast because I love her so much. <laughs> so tell me, uh, tell me about your bike. Well, her name is Sweet Thang. Um, <laughs> Do you have a story behind the name? Um, kind of. Her her paint job. She so she's uh, nineteen, I believe, nineteen eighty five. I know she's mid eighties. Um, and I looked up the serial number, so I think it's eighty five. Um, Miata. Uh, 310. She's a touring bike. And she's got a paint job that's not quite silver, not quite gold. And uh, a mechanic once told me that it was considered a champagne color. And so I decided she was a classy lady. And um, I don't know, sweet thing just kind of, it kind of came about. At first she was sweet thing. And then I decided I, pretty much every time I say her name, I have to add the drawl. Yeah. So she's sweet thing. That That's what stuck. And sometimes I'll call her ST just to be a little, a little sassy ST for short. Um, <laughs> and, uh, she takes me home every night. I'd like to joke that she's my primary partner. Cause, uh, 
<laughs> she's with me all the time. <laughs> Other I mean, people in my life may come and go. You but do have these like really intimate relationships with the bike. Yeah. You know, I mean, like how many memories get wrapped up in yeah. in that equipment, you know, and that, and not only that, but like you're constantly doing stuff to it and personalizing mm-hmm. it and yep. tweaking it. Making um, sure it's the perfect bike for my body. Right. And yeah. And, um, oh, what was I about to say? Uh, you're, say- you're saying about your primary partner. Yeah. Um, no, I had, I had something I was going to comment on, but I don't remember anymore. Sorry. <laughs> so, um, what do you like if, if you could get a new bike, would you like, is there, or you, you like, you love it and you're attached to it or like tell me I, a little bit about yeah. that. I am super attached to my bike. Um, I debated whether or not it would be a great, a, a good bike to tour on, um, to be, uh, riding for miles and miles and miles and days and days and days. Um, but I'm making some modifications and, uh, like putting, um, a, uh, smaller gear ratio, my front cranks so that I can go up hills a little bit easier. Um, or my front chain rings and I'll have to switch out the crank arms as well for that. And, um, I now have a granny gear in the back or like a bailout gear, granny gear. Some people call it, um, again, to help with those big hills when I'm going to be fully loaded. Um, I just decided that the beauty of biking is, Anybody can do it. You don't have to have the fancy gear. You don't have to have a fancy bike. As long as you have a functional bike that fits you, you're going to be just fine. I mean, people tour on all kinds of heavy bikes, and it's pretty impressive. Um, And I just – I didn't want to have to go through the hassle of finding another bike. Um, My goal is to become one of those bike hoarders that collects and has lots and lots of different bikes, but so far I've – shown a lot of restraint and have not collected bikes partially because I may be moving from Portland in the near future, uh, possibly this summer for grad school. So we'll see how that shakes out. Um, I know that I will be collecting bikes and I would love to, um, I would love to build, build up a bike from the frame. That's a definite goal of mine for the future. Um, make my perfect bike. For some reason, I have I have no doubt that you'll like build out some kind of crazy stable of all different sorts of things. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I'll it have seems my like... say that again. I'll have my collection, my yeah. tiny bikes collection. I'm very short. I'm five feet tall, so also finding a frame that fits me it can be a little difficult. So I can just envision myself having this this uh, yeah a stable. I like that a stable of tiny bikes. <laughs> I'm kind of going in like a mini pony direction. Yeah, that's sort of what I thought of. Um, So what do you, like, what's something that you carry on on every ride? What do you need to bring with you that you consider essential so that you feel prepared when you're just going out? I don't mean touring. I mean, like, just out in the world. That's a great question. Um, I wear my helmet all the time. There's a lot of... uh, there's a lot of contradictory schools of thought out there about helmet wearing and how much it actually protects us. And some people tend to take bigger risks because they think that they're safer with the helmet. 
but I wear my helmet every day. It makes me, it just makes me feel comfortable, more comfortable. Maybe if I'm going to the store five blocks away, I won't. And I do love that feeling wind through my hair. Um, so helmet lock the other day, I left my house without my keys and that was a huge bummer. I haven't done that in a long time. Um, that was, that was, uh, kind of a silly moment. Um, Did you have to get far? Like how far was it before you realized that? I was, I was at my destination. I went to REI and, um, oh, no. luckily it was, it was REI. So I brought my bike inside back to the bike shop area and I was like, Hey guys, can I leave this here while I shop? And they were super nice. Um, so that was good. Yeah. Well, I um, they're known for their like customer service and their member services and stuff. So that's cool. Um, what else? A lock in case I feel like stopping, especially if I have a destination in mind. Um, water bottle. Do you carry like your a spare tube or a patch kit when you're just out city riding? Um, <laughs> sometimes. sometimes it's funny because I should more often. Um, and there are days that I'm like, yep, got my, I got my frame pump, um, not my frame pump, but my mini pump and it attaches to my bike and I have a patch kit and I have a tire levers and good to go. Um, I do need to buy another a couple more spare tubes because, uh, I used my last one and haven't patched my old tube <laughs> yet. Um, I, I really, you know, I need to be better about doing that every time. I, I do have a little uh, saddle bag and uh, need to just stick an extra tube in there and always carry it. I usually have my multi-tool to make little adjustments on my bike. Sometimes I need to raise or lower the seat, um, do things like that. So, I mean, luckily here in this town, there's like, you know... Um, a thousand you, bike shops. Yeah, you just like, <laughs> yeah. stumble across bike shops everywhere. It's like yeah. you turn a corner and, oh, there's another one. So, I mean, it's really like a privileged place for a cyclist to live. It is. Um, so good. So, like, have, what's your what's your level of mechanical comfort? And when I say that, I mean, like, I want to ask you about changing out the the chain the chain rings on the front, but... Like, have you ever had to change a flat on the side of the road or anything? Like, what's your, like, unplanned mechanical comfort sure. versus, like, I'm going to put a granny gear on the yeah. back? <laughs> um, I've been lucky and uh, haven't changed any flats on the side of the road. And you I better, don't know. I've had to knock on wood. Knock on, knock oh, on right wood here. right now. <laughs> we have a bike tour coming up. I know, right? I know, I, I I know what's going to happen. I do feel really comfortable changing uh, tubes, though. So I'm not worried about it for when it happens. Um, but I have had flats on the road. And um, it was at a time that I wasn't super knowledgeable about those things. And... Uh, one or I didn't have the necessary tools. I didn't carry a patch kit. I didn't carry an extra tube. Um, so I haven't, since being prepared, I haven't had to do it, um, which isn't a bad thing because that's how it works, right? You bring your yeah, raincoat yeah. and it doesn't rain. Um, <laughs> so, um, so what did you do when you got a flat and you didn't have stuff with um, you? Did you like jump on a bus? Did you call a friend? I one time I called an Uber. Um, and they had the little, it was when they did the Uber pedal and, uh, they would charge a little bit more 
for a car that has a bike rack. I don't think they're doing that anymore, which is kind of a bummer. Um, and another time I was really close to the PSU, the Portland State University campus, and I just walked it up to the bike shop um, and they, they took care of it for me. <laughs> and yeah, I, um, so, yeah. <laughs> tell me, so I'm like, I'm so curious about the, um, the work that you're doing, like with customizing your bike. I know that you go to bike farm, which is this amazing, it's a nonprofit organization here. Um, all volunteer fun. It's so cool. It's amazing. just like the coolest stuff. <laughs> so like, how did you, how did you start? Like, what was your entry point to like wanting to learn more about your bike, mm -hmm. getting your hands dirty? Because I think that that kind of stuff, I know a little bit, it's intimidating for me, but I'm sure, say that again. It's incredibly intimidating. And and I'm sure it is for, for a lot of women, especially mm -hmm. if you're not in a city like this, which, you know, is, is so incredibly friendly, um, for cyclists. So how did you tell me a little bit about that sure. piece of it and how'd you get in? Um, I work, um, learning more about my bike has been a goal for a while. Um, and then I decided that I really wanted to do this tour when my obligations in Portland were up and, uh, you know, pre-grad school, basically I had this window of time, I have this window of time in, uh, April and May. And I realized that, okay, it is critical now I know how to change a, uh, um, a flat, but like now I'd like to know. And I wasn't sure. I still hadn't decided at that point if I was going to tour on my own bike, but I, you know, it was just a goal. I needed to learn more. I wanted to be knowledgeable about this uh, machine that carries me every single day and provides me with so much joy and happiness. Um, so there was a, um, a posting to the Women Bike Facebook group and before I was really super involved with them um, and the Community Cycling Center, another incredible nonprofit in Portland, um, was offering, they offer a lot of basic maintenance classes, but this was their first uh, women and trans basic maintenance class and it was um, open to women, uh, trans people, genderqueer um uh, women, trans, genderqueer, that I think did it, gender nonconforming. Did I cover everything? Yeah, yeah. it's basically yeah. like everybody that doesn't identify as like as a cis male. male. Yeah. yeah. Um, right. And the goal there, and it was taught by two amazing women, um, uh, and uh, they are both mechanics at the community cycling center, and they were incredible teachers, Andrea and Jackie. Um, and uh, it was just a safe space to ask questions and not feel intimidated. It was a very small group of us, two teachers to, I think we had eight or ten students, maybe. Um, so we, you know, they would show us things and then we'd work on our own bikes or we'd work on, in the case of uh, let's learn how to patch a tube, we just got old, they, they pulled out some old tubes and we learned how to patch on those and... Um, learn just some really basic kind of foot in the door basic mechanics and also named a lot of the parts de demystified the what was it demystifying the derailleur i think was one of the topics oh, that's and a good topic. yeah 
And um, and it just helped me. First of all, there was it was an incredible group of people, um, and I made some friends, and that was really sweet. And um, it just for me took a lot of that intimidation out of and and a lot of that mystery um, out of my bike. And I had this baseline knowledge at that, at that point, and this was um, probably close to six months ago, five or six months ago, so pretty recently. Um, and now, and then I, I felt more empowered to be able to go into a shop where there are a lot of men who know what they're talking about. Whereas before I'd be like, I'm not sure what I need here. Can you tell me about it? And I do kind of want to learn, but it's not your job. Your job is to do the labor. Um, and I just felt more um, empowered to go and ask questions and say, well, I know this, and I think it has something to do with this, um, or uh, taking it into the bike farm. And they have open wrench nights. They also have twice a month they do um, women and trans wrench nights. So, again, providing those safe spaces. Um, and I, But I've also been to their general open wrench nights or wrench days, I guess, shop hours, um, before. And, uh, and it's a great place to learn to work on your bike. Uh, it's $5 an hour on the stand and you get access to all the tools and there are teachers there who are available to help teach you, but they're hands off. So they might show you how to do something or explain or walk you through it, but you're doing all the work yourself. And that's, that's how I'm learning to do most of it. Is just like get in there, hands on. Somebody shows or tells me, and I do it. That's yeah, I'm super grateful to the community cycling center and uh, bike farm, two amazing organizations. Yeah, really great resources. Yeah. Um, so, what's the what's the longest ride that you've been on so far? Um, in a day, probably about fifty miles. So not a not super. Not super long. Um, for some some people, some people, fifty miles very is super true. long. Very yeah. true. Some people, like you know, five or ten miles seems like seems really long. So fifty miles is a good chunk, especially depending on the terrain. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that like part of um, a part of a, not a tour, but like was uh, that part of like several legs or something? Or that was just going to uh, down the spring water and back. Um, and doing the miles. So Springwater Trails, um, the multi-use path in southeast Portland goes all the way out to Boring, Oregon. And I think the total mileage is 43 miles round trip on that trail. And I just kind of, it was about 50 miles because uh, from biking to my house, it ends up being right around there. Um, biking to and from my house, I should say, from and to. <laughs> um yeah, so I don't know. I um, I expect to do some longer days on my tour, and I'm really excited about that. Might go go up to 60, 70 miles, fully loaded, depending on the terrain. Um, and I'm just excited to pedal. <laughs> yeah, it's it's such an amazing. Um, I have not been able to do a, a tour like that, but I definitely have my sights set on it. But like, what an amazing time! you're sort of free of certain obligations and being held, you know, held in place by things like that. You can kind of just go at your own pace. Yeah. See where it takes you. Yeah. Um, That's incredible. I can't wait to uh, keep up with you and like pay attention to to what you're doing and, you know, 
keep keep little points on where <laughs> you are on Instagram and all that stuff. Yes. Yeah. Um, so have you done an overnight yet? Not yet. So this is going to be your first one when we do our pre-tour shakedown overnight. Yeah. Oh and I am super excited about it. I've been, uh, I'm uh, an experienced camper from not for a while, but in the past. And uh, I just ride my bike every damn day. Yeah, right. <laughs> So uh, I'm really excited to combine the two, and I just love being out in the woods, and um, I'm so excited to kind of disconnect from the daily grind for a while. I mean, my daily grind is going to be like pedal to the metal. I don't think that's really a term for the (laughs) biking, but pedal to the pedal. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I I think I'm really excited. I'm I'm excited to have... to talk more about that i know we'll be together while it's happening but you know hear what your thoughts are after it hopefully the company will be acceptable Uh, Um, i'm sure i'm sure we'll have well we won't have anything to say to each other um (laughs) we don't we don't go off on tangents every moment we get (laughs) not at all all. um well which is actually kind of a, a good segue do you do you like riding with other people do you like to ride solo i know that your tour is probably going to be solo for big chunks of it but what do you like i like them both um i do most of my commuting solo and that's not super long but i'm i'm used to being on my bike by myself and i definitely use it at a as as, excuse me use it as a time to think about my day either upcoming day or the day that i've had um have a lot of meditative thoughts on my bike. Um, I sometimes I sing to myself <laughs> and then get embarrassed when somebody comes up behind me. Um, and it's just a great opportunity for me to. I don't listen to music. I like to hear what's going on. So it's a great opportunity for me to just be with my thoughts and um, just get into the the movement of my you know uh, of cycling. Um, so I like, I like doing it alone and I like riding with people too. It's, that's been really fun to go out, um, more recently over the, probably in the past year, year and a half, I've been cultivating a community of regular riding buddies. And sometimes it's just me and one other person. And sometimes it's a slightly bigger group. And then with these women bike rides, there's, um, we've been, we've had some big groups this morning. We had a total of 14 people, including Nicole and myself. Um, and for our new year's resolution ride, which uh cat was on, um, which you were on, uh, we had, I think 16. So that's a pretty, that's a pretty sizable group. Yeah. Do you remember when I dropped my cell phone on the spring water? Yes. I think I was, I everyone was like, phone. I was like, it's yeah. okay, everybody. That's right. right. I remember we had no phone dropping mishaps this time. I know. I know. I should have been there, I guess. Yeah, Um, you could have been the one. So, yeah, um, there are great things about cycling with people. You can motivate each other. You can chat, have a good time. It's a great way to connect with friends. Um, So, just both. I like them both. I'm excited for my solo tour, though. Really excited to spend a lot of time by myself. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I'm, I'm fascinated by that. Like myself personally, I've, I've done so much riding solo and that's always been one of the things that has really appealed to me about it. But I found over these past 
probably even the past month or month and a half, I'm like, okay, like, all right, I've been doing this for a while. I'm ready to, I'm ready to have some, have some people here with me, you know? So it's interesting. I think it's great to have, to have both. Um, And I'm, I'm definitely a very social person. I'm extroverted. So if people are around, I'm happy. If I'm by myself, I'm happy. So can't go wrong. (laughs) So um, we've talked about this a little bit like offline, of course, but how do you like, do you feel safe when you ride your bike? Like, how do you feel in terms of um, traffic? How do you feel in terms of like personal safety? So like thinking that those are two different things. Definitely. Um, So I'll address the traffic safety first. Um, It's kind of a mixed bag. And Portland is a very cycling, uh, bicycle friendly city. Some people are super considerate and will automatically kind of let you go ahead. And they're looking out for cyclists. And um, that's been that's been my experience for the most part. Um, but I also bike very defensively. And there have been times, I mean, cars run stop signs. They, I had a woman yelling at me from inside her car uh, several days ago when I was on a bikeway with the right of way and she was about to roll right through the stop sign and I'm going cautiously. She was going, but she wasn't going and I couldn't tell if she was stopping for me. She had a stop sign and I just, I held my hand up. I guess I'll do it this way. And I held my hand up like this, except out to the side and I mean, she couldn't hear me. I said, you have a stop sign. You have a stop sign. And she couldn't hear me. She just started yelling at me from inside her car. I couldn't hear what she was saying. I could just hear muffled yells. And it's like, really? So sometimes stuff like that happens. And it's disheartening. And it's frightening. Because there are rules of the road to keep everybody safe. And bicyclists and pedestrians and motorists all have to share this space as road users um, this communal space and, um, it can be scary. And I've had, and I'll bike on busy roads. Um, I'll bike on fast roads, but even on the slower ones, I you get impatient drivers who zip right past you at a frighteningly close distance. So I just tend to bike really defensively. I, um, I, I roll into intersections cautiously, even if I have the right of way, especially depending on where it is. If it's kind of a neighborhood thing where I can't see the cars coming from either side, I'll be, I'll be cautious about that. Or if I can hear a car starting to approach the intersection, like, oh, there's a car over there. Make sure they stop or make sure I have time to get through. Um, yeah, I guess that's what I'll say about that. Personal safety, um, I get catcalls um, just the other day also. I uh, had a really um, annoying, <laughs> um, really uncool experience. Uh, this I was biking up interstate on my way from the BTA to St. John's um, for the, I work at a, the after school program there with um, a child with special needs. Um, uh, and I was totally lost in my own thoughts. I was processing some emotions from, um, a couple, uh, 
processing some emotions and I'll just leave it at that. And um, I just wasn't really paying attention. I, you know, I always have my periphery, but I was very lost in my thoughts and going up the slight uphill grade. So I was kind of just moving and grooving. And this guy, passenger seat, um, a guy in the passenger seat of an SUV leans all the way out his window to say stuff to me and say like, smile and um, like, hey, beautiful. And I, I, it took me a minute to even register that he was talking to me. And I was just like, what? It was so surprised. And, um, and it, what made me really nervous was the way he, like his body language, the way he was leaning all the way outside of his car. Like how much of his body was out the window? I would say um, at least the upper half of his torso. Wow. Like he probably like, like both shoulders. It wasn't like I'm just sort of leaning out this. I would say even like from his chest. He was. I mean, he was leaning out. And then as they drove past, he was leaning, turned around to continue to say things to me, which I couldn't hear. Um, and he had this like really creepy grin. Um, I was not excited about that. And so it took me out of my moment of emotional processing to start processing this potential threat because I thought, well, they're ahead of me now, but you know how lines of traffic can be at stoplights and sometimes a bike catches up. And, um, so I started thinking, okay, if I catch up to him, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? And thankfully, and I was a little bit frozen. I just like kept pedaling and I was a little bit, but I was a little bit frozen in my head. Thankfully I did not catch up to him. But then um, I decided, okay, I need to have a plan for when this is likely to happen again. It's happened before. It'll probably happen again. I was worried that he was going to lean out and try and, like, swipe at me or touch me or even just saying stuff. I didn't want it. Um, So uh, my plan, uh, which uh, is partially... Uh, informed by the self-defense class that I've been taking called Women's Strength, and it's been really, really incredible and helpful. Um, I decided that what I would do if this were ever to happen again is um, as I bike up to to the car, um, before, hopefully before he has a chance to say anything, I would yell as loud as I could in his face, back off, back off, like that, and just repeat it. And that's one of the... um, that's something that we learned in the class is just like repeat it. Maybe there would be a pedestrian or another car with the window open. It was kind of a warm day. People could hear. Um, if I needed to, I'd get up onto the sidewalk just to be out of reach. Um, but I was hoping not to have to do that. I always hope not to have to do that. And sometimes that's not an option either. If you're in traffic, sometimes that's not an option or if there are parked cars, um, So uh, I was just going to do the back off thing and either try to get ahead or try to get behind and um, just yell in his face. And if he tried to touch me, um, yelling, no, this person is attacking me, um, very loudly, very, very loudly. (laughs) So um, it sucks that women have to think about these things, that we can't always enjoy bike rides alone by ourselves. I notice that I get a lot more comments um, in the summertime when I'm wearing fewer clothing. When I'm wearing shorts, people can see my legs and um, they think that they can comment on my legs. And 
on whatever cleavage may be showing because, hey, I, I have cleavage. <laughs> um, and um, sometimes my tank tops don't cover it when I'm leaning down on my bike or don't cover it all the way. And um, I can't always be buttoned up to here, you know? And, um, and I bike at night a lot. And I'm often by myself. And I do feel safer on my bike than I would if I was a pedestrian. Um, because I can get away faster and if I need to, I can get off my bike and use it as a weapon. Um, I hope I never have to do that, but it's just disappointing that things like cat calls make us feel very unsafe and whatever the person's intention of, yeah, well, I wasn't going to do anything, you know, it was just a compliment. It was just a compliment. You should be flattered. Um, it, it's unwanted and it makes me feel really unsafe. And why should I feel unsafe moving through my city? Why should I, because I'm a woman, and especially a small woman, have to feel unsafe? Um, men don't feel unsafe the way that women do. And I know that there are complicated issues, too, regarding it's not just gender. There's race issues. There's class issues. Um, but um, my male friends don't even think about it, even if I'm walking even if, for example, I'm walking with a male friend, and this happened recently, um, walking down the street at night, somebody's coming towards us. I, even though I'm with a male friend, I still I look out for body language. I look out for, um, uh, you know, how they're carrying themselves, what they might, the, the person approaching might or might not be saying, or what their gaze looks like, whether or not they look friendly. I'm, I'm constantly aware of that. And, uh, and, and my friend didn't even notice, like doesn't, doesn't occur to them. Right. So I think that's, that's a, that's a telling thing. Yeah. Yeah. That's privilege. Privilege. Yeah. That's, yeah, exactly. So Wait. I know, I know you're taking the, um, the women's strength class, which is awesome. Um, and do you have any particular, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to like linger too much on on safety because I don't want people to have that be like the primary thing, but you know, we have to be real about the world and we have to be real about being prepared. Um, so any, anything else regarding that that you kind of have planned for how you want to deal with your bike tour? Yeah. Um, on the most, uh, for the most part, I feel comfortable that I will be safe. Um, I feel um, I don't want to live my life in fear. I don't, uh, I'm doing this bike trip and I'm super excited about it. And um, I was really nervous about the possibility of going solo at first. Um, but I just, uh, I can't, I can't not do it. Um, and this is a goal of mine and I'm really just so thrilled to be doing this for myself. And all I want to do with this class is, first of all, it's empowering. It feels really good to punch things and kick things. I actually, I love it. And the screaming, no, I mean, at every strike that we do, we scream no. And it just feels so good. We're not often given that opportunity and just to let it out. Um, feels great. And so what it is, is I just see it as tools in my toolbox. They're just, it's there if I need it. I hope not to. I don't, I, people keep asking me like, are you going to 
carry mace? Are you going to carry this? Are you going to carry a knife as a weapon? I'll have a knife for camping. But I just, even mace, I don't think that I want to bring it. Um, weapons can be used against you and they, and, or they can be a crutch. And, um, especially with mace, like with wind and, yeah, and totally. I don't know, mace just seems like, uh, it's, it doesn't appeal to me as, as a defense mechanism. Um, I know that it makes a lot of people feel safe, but, um, so in general, I trust in the goodness in people and I think that I'll be fine. Um, but I'm taking this class so that I feel prepared and so that I feel that if something were to happen, I have these tools in my toolbox that I can pull out and do what I can to, um, get myself out of a, an uncomfortable situation, even small things. I mean, I, I used the back off thing last night. I was, uh, I was out dancing <laughs> with a couple of girlfriends and this guy, tried to dance with two of us and I, I did the, Hey, back off. We don't want to dance. We don't want to dance back off. And he was really aggressive actually. And I kept saying back off, back off, um, louder. Cause you know, also we're in a club. This is why I hate clubs, but we really wanted to go out dancing. So we did, it was fun. Um, until then and anyways, um, it feels, it just feels really good and empowering to have these tools. So I highly recommend that uh, women, even men, like take a self-defense class. It's just—it's good to know these things because there are going to be people in the world. Hopefully we don't run into them, but there are people in the world who are out to do you harm. And I just, I, I need to recognize that. And I do recognize it. <laughs> uh, well, I think also though, just like having like situational awareness, like you don't wear your headphones yeah. when you ride, which... There's a lot of debate on that, um, mm -hmm. but, you know, some very, very rarely I'll do one earbud in yeah. my, like, the sidewalk ear, and you know, on the right side. Um, very, very rarely, though. But I think situational awareness is huge, mm -hmm. and those defense classes are going to teach you that, and that is yeah. going to get you out of yeah. situations before they come up. So. Exactly helping um, to identify red flags. We talk yeah. a lot about trusting your gut and your intuition. If something feels uncomfortable, then trust yeah. that feeling. Trust that, that stomach, like icky stomach feeling, whatever, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Intuition's gotten us, gotten us kind of far. And, and <laughs> fear is, I, I heard this great, I watched this great talk, um, between this woman, Marie Forleo, who's like an entrepreneurial business lady I think and, you told me about her. Yeah, and um, and uh, Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Eat, Pray, Love, and it was about it was this chat about fear, and I'll I'll put it in the in the sh the notes here, um, in the show notes, but I'll share that with you because it's that idea that like yeah, fear is an important component of us. It's you know this barometer that we have within us, but it it also doesn't know the difference between a lion crouching in the brush and you know, something that's really innocuous and is actually not a fatal threat because right. we haven't evolved that antenna so much. So it's important to like know that, honor it, um, pay attention to it, but like tune in so that you can see like, where am I being triggered where it's actually not really relevant? Um, don't let it drive or make your decisions for you, which is why I love that you're not stopping yourself from doing this thing. Um, because if, if we just stopped ourselves doing anything because there was a little bit of fear, we'd 
these shut-ins, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what is, like, one piece of advice, uh, one thing you think you'd like new riders to know, one piece of advice for women who feel like something's holding them back? Yeah. Um, um I think that, uh, anyone can do it. Anyone can get on their bikes and ride. Um, most of us learned as kids and that, I think that there's a, there's a joy in riding. Find that joy. Um, there are a lot, if you're nervous about riding, there are so many resources and especially here in Portland, wonderful communities of people. Um, I'm going to plug women, women bike. Um, but we, we do, we do social rides. And one of the women on the ride this morning, she called them social rides, which I loved, which was a, a slow social ride. It was a talking pace. And, um, I mean, there are so many resources online, um, and, uh, just finding a supportive group of people, especially women for women by women, um, women, trans, femme, that, uh, the whole WTF category of folks, um, genderqueer, uh, and gender nonconforming. We're so, <laughs> we're so alphabet soup up here in, in the Pacific Northwest. There's yes, like so many, I love it though. I love it so, so much. much. I just, everybody has a place and I love that. Um, so no matter how you identify, I think just finding your community is, is really important. And, um, so yeah, my my one piece of advice would be anyone can do it and find your joy and find a okay, that's three pieces. And find your community, just find some supportive people to go with. And um I mean, it's funny people so on that New Year's resolution ride that you were on, we did about I think it was all told about 11 miles total. And some of the women were like really excited. They're like, really? That didn't feel so long at all. I can't believe we biked 11 miles. And for somebody who doesn't bike very often, 11 miles, like it sounds long, but it took us like what, an hour? It's not. And and we went at a really slow pace and uh, it was, um, it was just fun. People were chatting and having fun with it. I think if you're, if you're like not already riding a bike, then you're thinking of a mile in terms of your walking pace. Mm-hmm. And it is just not, it is not the same. Like biking 11 miles and walking 11 miles. Oh my goodness. It's not even apples and oranges. It's like apples and like porcupines. <laughs> just, you just can't yeah. compare the two. Yeah. Um, That's a good it, comparison. <laughs> <laughs> um, do you... Uh, any, I guess I do have like kind of two more questions. Is there any other, um, uh, do you follow any blogs, websites, anything that's not like strictly Portland? Yeah. Um, I started, um, well, I recently got on Instagram, so I'm still kind of exploring the world of like searching for tags. And I started following, um, path, Le- the path less peddled, which is amazing. Uh, oh, so good. Less and they're, are, are I think they're Portland or Oregon based. I think they're, they're Portland based. Yeah, they're Portland. I knew yeah. that they do a lot with, within Oregon. Um, so that's been really fun to follow them. Um, there's another one that I just started following today and I don't remember the name, but I could look it up really quickly. And while I do that, I can, um, say that, uh, 
Um, there is a, there are two Facebook groups that I became a part of a couple months ago um, that have been really helpful. One is called Solo Male and Female Cyclists, and um, solo cyclists around the world post their photos and ask questions. And it was I when I found these sites. The other one is just called um, Bicycle Touring, and that's a much bigger group. Um, but both of them have been so helpful seeing how people pack, seeing the different bikes that they, uh, that they tour on, excuse me. Um, and, uh, what else do they do? Oh, people always ask questions. It's very much that community, uh, oriented around bicycle touring in both groups. And it's, it's really cool. Um, and then you introduced me to the group that is specifically focused on, um, the Pacific Coast Highway, which is what I'll be doing this spring. And that was kind of nice, too. And I'll post pictures to there probably when I start my tour. And um, the other groups, though, they're they're big groups. So you get you get multiple posts per day. Um, and it's 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 really helpful just to see what other people are doing. It was awesome. And it's really inspiring. I've noticed so many female solo cyclists, like yeah. so many solo females who are touring that that's actually incredibly inspiring because you see women who are reporting back to be like, you know, I've ridden 23,000 miles and I'm a solo, you know, it's just a woman riding alone around yeah. the world, no less. So that, that helps me seeing those stories helps me to become a lot more comfortable. Oh, I can do it. These, these Absolutely. women are going around the world. <laughs> I can go down the coast and, and just seeing that other people were doing it was so helpful to me. Absolutely. Um, the name of that um, Instagram and I believe they also have a, uh, a podcast as well. It's called Pedal Shift. If oh, you, okay. Have you heard of that? He's based, I actually haven't. Um, the guy saw out of the East Coast, I believe. Um, he, he uh, I, I found his post. Um, uh and it was a picture of him with like bright orange paneers. And it said that uh, he, he loves orange because he's a Syracuse University alum. And oh, I was like, awesome. Syracuse, um, which is an hour away from Ithaca. And my mom is also, also went to Syracuse University. She grew up in Syracuse. That's where my, my partner went. She went for a year to IC and then she transferred to Syracuse. So right, right. You told me that. We, have, we have, uh, have a lot of love. I lived in upstate New York for eight and a half years myself so I have a lot of love for so beautiful for New York yeah it's 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 gorgeous it is gorgeous <laughs> um so any I know you plugged uh community cycling center and bike farm any other shops you want to plug while you have a moment yes um Gladys I oh, gotta give my Gladys love Leah Benson is the um the the just hilarious knowledgeable fearless, um, warm hearted, <laughs> uh, most wonderful shop owner. And, um, she, um, she runs a women focused bike shop in Northeast Portland on Alberta street. And she gets a lot of men, uh, male customers coming in as well, just because she has an awesome shop and she's an awesome person. Um, but it is, uh, it's female focused, meaning that she is, highly attuned to the needs of the female body. I believe she was a, a former sex educator. So she has that background knowledge. She also knows all about bikes 
and is a just super warm-hearted person and you go in the shop and she's your new best friend um, and she will give you a lot of individualized advice and attention and I feel really lucky that I I like like I think she's my friend she requested me on Facebook so now we're Facebook friends it just makes me so happy that's awesome um yeah Gladys is an amazing storyteller too um yeah she uh, she was one of the storytellers at Live the Revolution, which is a, a yearly storytelling event that the BTA puts on to benefit safe routes to school. Um, and she just told a really sweet, of course, it was Valentine's Day weekend, told a really sweet story about how she and her now husband met and how they took a tandem ride together and how she had to, like, relinquish this control because she wasn't steering and... It was just a great story. She's a hardcore feminist, and um, yeah, I love her shop. So uh. Gladys has, as you know, um, just for listeners, Gladys has yeah. a, um, a saddle library. So mm-hmm. you know, you can try on saddles for a week at a time before you buy it, and um, you know, you, you give a deposit in the form of like a library card, and if you end up buying from them, it applies to your purchase, which is awesome. But I mean. Can you can you think of a better person to buy a saddle from as a woman? Yeah. Um, a former sex ed teacher who has a saddle library. I mean, talk about someone who knows all about parts and butts and everything else. <laughs> exactly. She's like the way to do it. She yes. Um, I remember her saying a couple weeks ago she was. Uh, I think she said she was interviewed for a podcast and she said, "Let's see how many times I can say labia in this podcast." <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. Like that's her sense of humor. She um yeah, and she she gave a women bike um well, one of our educational clinics in January, we did a saddle talk with Leah at her shop and it was such a successful night that she is now going to be offering them regular regularly or semi-regularly out of her shop. And I highly recommend checking them out. It applies to men as well as women how to find the ideal saddle fit because saddles or an ill-fitting saddle can often be what makes or breaks the ride. And it's what keeps people off their bikes. Um, I mean, it's, we're putting the most of our weight on it. There are really sensitive areas um, that are involved, a lot of nerve endings. um, And she does a great job of breaking down all the different pieces of information. So, and anyone who's um, anyone who's listening, I'll link up uh, Leah and Natalie, um, who is the the builder owner of Sweet Pea Bikes. Um, they do a podcast called The Snack Parade, and we'll link up to that so you can anyone can just kind of hop over. They did it's really entertaining banter between the two of them, um, but also there's a great chat specifically about saddles that I really that I really loved so I think everybody should listen to it if you're if you're like hmm something's not right here you know um yeah awesome so any anything else because I think I think we're about gonna gonna wrap it up but is there anything else that like I didn't ask you about that you want to tell me or you think we should know or any way we can like follow you what do you what do you got sure um well, I'll, this is the, the short part. Um, feel free to follow me on my new Instagram, which doesn't have too many pictures yet, but I'm hoping it will. It will. I'm it will. hoping to do a picture a day on my tour and people are going to get sick of seeing the coastline. So I'll definitely try and find cool little things that I find along the route. Or maybe if I'm 
having a rainy, lonely day, I'll post a sad selfie. Just be like, hey guys, give me some love. <laughs> Miss y'all. <laughs> Um, and my Instagram is bike with st. So just sweet thing. Sweet thing. Sweet thing. Um, my little bio. I recently updated it to say uh, what did it, I put? Adventures with my lady bike. Sweet thing. Um, so yeah, follow, I'd love to have more followers. That'd be awesome. Awesome. Um, right now I don't have too many. Um, and so one thing that I did want to touch on, which. I, there wasn't really a clear, I mean, I could have talked about it when we were talking about mechanics and how I got into it, but um, I think that uh, going along with this providing safe spaces in this heavily male-dominated field, male-dominated bike shops, um, I, was, I was an athletic kid. I had short hair. I was a tomboy, if people still use that term. I don't know if that's still politically correct, but... Um, uh, a bunch of my friends were boys, and I was like, no pink, no dolls, no things that are typically associated with girls. Um, but nobody really put a wrench in my hand either. And I, I just thought as an adult that it was something that I wasn't good at. And I realized it was because I didn't have a chance to practice, first of all. I didn't have a safe space where I felt comfortable asking for help. Um, and I just think that that's, I think that I, it doesn't, it does, it can come naturally. That was one of the things that I discovered really quickly was I love working on my bike. This is so fun. Learning how it works, learning how to fix it, diagnose problems. It's, I like it. And the more you do it, the better you get at it. And I just think that that's a really important thing to note that, um, Teach girls how to use tools, not just hammering in a nail or using a screwdriver. I can do that. But teach them to do the hard stuff, too. Teach them to do the complicated things. Um, there's a lot of attention to detail. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not a gendered uh, skill set at all. It shouldn't be. Um, and uh, I just... I, I feel really strongly about that, especially since learning to do, be doing all these things. It's, I think it's just really important um, that, that girls learn the same skills as boys. And boys learn how to sew and cook. And, and I know that a lot of that is changing right now, especially in places like Portland, super uh, liberal and progressive. Um, and a lot of alternative uh, lifestyles and alternative parenting and uh, education. Um, but it wasn't, it wasn't as much of a thing when I was a kid. And, uh, plus, um, I was raised by a single mom who is not handy either. My, even my dad's not handy. So if he had been around, he wouldn't have put a tool in my hand. Um, I just think it's really important that yeah. everybody has that confidence. I'm so glad that you said that. I mean, preach sister, you know, um, <laughs> It's not Sunday, but, um, yeah, I'm really glad that you said that, you know, I, uh, maybe, maybe you can, maybe you can tell, but I was definitely, was always a tomboy and really, um, shunned things that, things that were pink. Yeah. And, um, I boycotted the word cute in seventh grade. <laughs> I was like, I it was really whatever. Um, but yeah, definitely there's always been sort of this idea of like, that's not, that's something I'm not good at that. Yeah. That thing is a thing I'm not good at. You know, it's not that I'm not good at it. It's that I haven't learned. 
Exactly. And why didn't I learn is because even though those were situations for me, um, and my dad was a handy guy and he was not like a guy that would, you know, like be really make me conform to gender roles, but it just wasn't the same. And it just wasn't like, I would hold the flashlight for him while he did things. I wouldn't do the things myself, you know? Um, I got yelled at because because oh. it would wander. The flashlight would wander <laughs> a little bit. Like, Pay attention. Uh, what, what were you saying? I was just going to say, um, and I think it's just that that thought that we're very ingrained with is that, oh, well, I, I might think to teach this to a son, but I just wouldn't think to teach it to a daughter. And I think that's, I think that conversation is changing, but we need to continue to change it. And we need to yeah, continue to bring it up so that people are aware of it and think about it and do something about it. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think, I think that's, that's really, really important. important. And I think it's really important for women to know, and, you know, anyone who's listening to this who, you know, is, start, is new to riding or would like to ride and, but haven't, they feel intimidated or scared for some reason, you know, you totally can do it. Um, probably, I mean, we've all got like, there's different circumstances, but probably 98% can do it. Um, and if you're intimidated because you don't know about the mechanics, there are ways to learn. And so it's not that you can't do it. It's not that you're not good at it. It's just that you have not had the resources available to you yet. So I'm really glad that you brought that up. Good. Um, thanks for that. Yeah. Cool. So, um, I guess I think we're going to, I think we're going to wrap it up and, um, you know, you and I are going to have so much to talk about. Maybe we'll do another check-in, um, after the tour or not, I mean like after the overnight, after the organized, yeah, after the organized overnight, but that would be great to reflect on, uh, leading a group of women through the woods on bike. Yes. (laughs) That'll be you have so no, good. You have no idea how how much I love that <laughs> sentence. That's amazing. Um, Molly, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. I'm so glad. This was really fun. I hope I didn't ramble too much. <laughs> You're great. Oh, You're great. And awesome. I'll see you soon. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks. Good night. Goodbye. <laughs> And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed our chat with Molly. And uh, again, you'll be able to find the links that we discussed at girleatsbike.com forward slash joyride 003. Also, I sure would love for you to, I don't know, subscribe, rate the show, leave a review on iTunes, any, all of the above, share it widely, etc., etc. <laughs> It is launch week here at the Joyride, which means we're posting a new show every day this week. So please, pretty, pretty, please tune in for tomorrow's episode featuring one of my personal bike tour heroines. Heroines? Heroines? That's that's a weird word. Anyway, this gal is my idol. Her name is Jasmine Reese, and she is doing something, even at this moment, that is quite spectacular. If you or someone you know uh, would be a good fit for to be a guest on the Joyride podcast, please go ahead and uh, give me a buzz. Go to bit.ly forward slash Joyride Guest. That's B-I-T dot L-Y, Joyride Guest. That is all lowercase. And tell me about yourself or share that link with your pal. 
Again, bit.ly, B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash joyride guest, um, because the more, the merrier. Remember, friends, life shrinks or expands in proportion to one's courage. Take care of yourselves and each other. Thanks for listening, and until next time, I hope you enjoy the ride. <laughs>